to have honest conversation with yourself and identify maybe which skills come to you naturally and which skills do you think you'd like to develop around the key things that would be required of you in-house and just think if you if you do match those Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. The University of Law offers a range of undergraduate and postgraduate courses and master's degrees alongside an award-winning pro bono clinic so you can build up your legal experience while studying. And their experienced career service will enable you to put your best foot forward when launching your legal career. The courses are employment focused and based on real legal practice so you'll be better prepared for the workplace. Part-time and online study options are available so you can work and study at the same time. Click the link in the description box of the podcast to find out more about the courses on offer. Hello and welcome back to the Student Lawyer Podcast. My name's Camilla and I'm a trainee solicitor at a law firm in London and I will be your host for today's show. In today's episode, we're joined by Arva Zadkovash, in-house counsel at a higher education institution who initially qualified into private practice before making the move in-house. In this episode, we'll be discussing Arva's career history, how and why she moved from private practice into an in-house role, and the biggest challenges that she faced when doing so. This episode is packed with fantastic advice for those who are curious about in-house careers. So if that sounds like you, make sure you stick around. And without further ado, let's welcome Arva onto the show. Welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast, Arva. It's so great to have you here. Oh no, thank you so much for having me. I can't believe I'm finally here. I know, we've been we've been in talks for literally years about setting this up. So I'm very happy that we're finally making it happen. If you could please start off by uh, providing us with some insight into your career history to date. Sure. I mean, the the question that um, is probably the hardest one to answer, because where where do I start? Um, so I I was not in the legal um, industry to begin with. I started off as a makeup artist, um, had no prospect of entering law. When I was 16, I had my own makeup business and um, things were flying high for me. Having Middle Eastern parents, that is just a, a career that they didn't even know existed. And so I went off to study law because I thought I was good at winning arguments. Um, so it was really difficult for me to, um, you know, get a training contract and get any sort of work experience even. So I started off as a, a team administrator in a city law firm on a temporary basis. Um, I just so happened to print a document that was in my um, in my first uh, native language, which is Farsi. And then I started working on those matters related to um, Iran um, with sanctions work. And I sort of fell into that work, which lended itself to me um, progressing as a paralegal and then eventually uh, getting a training contract at uh, another city law firm. And today... I practice as an in-house lawyer at um, at a higher education institute in London. Oh, that's, I think that's so interesting. You know, I, I think you previously mentioned about um, your makeup business. And I just think that's really incredible um, that you've obviously, you know, you've experienced different things before coming to law and brought the skills from um, your previous endeavours to a legal career. And you've also used your strengths from from your, your your Iranian heritage also to help progress your career. So I think that's really interesting. Thank you. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy and proud to say it out now, but all those years when I was doing training contract applications, it was the most taboo thing I could have ever written. And I had some mentors tell me, don't include that you were doing makeup. It doesn't doesn't give a serious look. It's not what law- lawyers are looking for. But I always thought, I'm very entrepreneurial. I have a lot of transferable skills. And it's when I started, you know, as you said, 
um, highlighting those transferable skills, that's when um, I started to to see an interest in that um, and not, not to be afraid of what you've done if you can demonstrate what skills you've got. So I, I totally agree. Yeah, I'm a big advocate for um, for displaying your individuality, but I know that there are some um, viewpoints which are against that, but hopefully things are uh, moving in a more progressive um, direction. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you decide to move from um, from private practice to in-house? That's a really interesting question, and I can probably talk about that um, for the rest of the podcast, but I think going back to um, my entrepreneurial side I've always loved business um whether it was makeup or selling my clothes and car boot sales I always loved the business um side of things uh whenever I had a summer job I always was interested in how the business is working I remember I'd be a waitress and just be asking why they've priced certain things on their menu a certain way um who's designed their menu so when I actually got into the law firm I was working with a client uh, in Iran. They were from Indonesia. And so we we spent a lot of time working together, uh, just a small team of us, three lawyers, I think, and our client. So when you're working that closely, you really come out of the law firm element and it, you're really looking at their business as a whole. So I think I spent, I'd say, 60% of my time with this one client. And so I started to be um, seen as their in-house lawyer, even though I was working in a law firm. So they would call me for any type of really work outside of their initial instruction. Um, And I really enjoyed that. So it was a very commercial relationship, um, advising them on on any and all parts of their business. Where I, I really like that, you know, not to pigeonhole myself in the particular sector that we were originally working with them on which was energy so I'd say I really just liked the breadth of the commercial side and I thought there is actually a career available in this and I know I never knew about in-house I didn't know how to make that transition myself um but after qualification I connected with a few more lawyers, found out a bit more, and it sounded like something I definitely wanted to do. And I never thought that I would fit into a law firm either. Um, so it's been the perfect and best decision I've ever made, actually. That's uh, I think that's really a really nice um, perspective. And also, if you think about it, um, you really highlighted the fact that you kind of enjoyed building that relationship with that one client. And I suppose if you're in-house, then you are able to build more of a well you're in the business so you know you're in the relationship essentially but um you're able to kind of grow with a company um as opposed to maybe working for lots of lots of different companies so I can definitely see the attraction there it's true and and I think that um that's something to be mindful of when you are looking at what kind of lawyer do I want to be just getting um getting experience across all of those different setups because it is it is very different working in a law firm working in a high street law firm um or working in-house so I think it's really the best thing to do if you are considering it is try and speak to someone try and see what it's about um and that there are opportunities out there For the past four years, I have been very lucky in the sense that I have had the shoulders of friends and family to sob on and unfortunately for them to vent at whilst I have been under pressure and stress from university deadlines and whilst going through the gruelling process of training contract applications and interviews. They have been my unofficial therapists and during tough times have reminded me that there is always light at the end of the tunnel. But it's not always possible to rely on a friend or family member to help you through difficult times, especially if they are not trained therapists. And sometimes speaking to somebody outside of your family or friendship circle is a better option anyway. If you're going through stressful times, looking to improve the quality of your life, vent or need somebody to remove the weight of the world from your shoulders, BetterHelp, the sponsor of today's podcast, may be right for you. 
BetterHelp is the largest therapy platform in the world and it changes the way people approach their mental health and helps them tackle life's challenges by providing accessible and affordable care. The therapists at BetterHelp are qualified to help you through everything from daily stresses to anxiety, relationships, depression, addictions, eating, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, grief, self-esteem, and much more. After you sign up, BetterHelp will match you to a therapist who fits your objectives, preferences, and the type of issues that you are dealing with. So whilst a friend or family member, aka an unofficial therapist, is great to speak to, therapists on BetterHelp include psychologists, family therapists, licensed clinical social workers and licensed professional counsellors. Visit www.betterhelp.com forward slash TSL for 10% off your first month. That's www.betterhelp.com forward slash TSL for 10% off of your first month. I know that I'm looking forward to using BetterHelp to help me get through the SQE when I start it next year. So you, you moved in house after working for, I think it was a, a year, or, year or two as an associate um, or a solicitor in, in a law firm. Um, do you think there's a right time to move in house with, you know, do you think there's a particular time when someone should think about making that transition? I'm really glad you asked this because this is something I used to ask um, all of my mentors. So I'll share with you the feedback they gave me and then I'll share with you what I actually think. The advice I got was don't move until you've been two years uh, qualified. The reason why they would say that is because they said that um, in law firms, you get more exposure. You have more opportunity to work on uh, high value deals. You get sort of the basic skill set that a lawyer would need. And then after that, you can move in-house because you've already got a foundation to build on. And the fear is that if you're going in-house, there's not so much support in terms of training and development. So that had really put me off um, and I was like, quite scared to make the move. I wasn't sure what to expect. Um, it, it, it makes you feel like you're just going to be dumped into um, a precipice with no support. But having actually made the transition, I, I went as soon as I qualified, actually. Um, I got my qualification and I went to start as a freelance lawyer but I think there's like so many of these organizations now where you can sign up as a freelancer and maybe you're assigned to a particular company for a week, a day or three months. So that's how I got my current uh, job. I worked there for three months and they asked me to stay on a permanent basis. So having gone through it just as I qualified, I definitely think that there's no reason to stay for two years. There's no right time. It really just depends on what you want, knowing what you enjoy and what your particular skill set lends itself to and seeing if that's right for you. If in-house definitely reflects your interests and skills, then there's no right time because I think you can create your career in any way that you like. But if you're not sure, then probably best to stay where you are until you figure it out and do a bit more research. Uh, so I wouldn't say there's a right time, but there's definitely different factors to take into consideration about when it would be right for you. That's fantastic advice, Arvis. Thank you so much for sharing that. And perhaps moving on to a slightly more taboo topic. Um, what are salaries like in-house? Is there a big difference in the salaries between in-house and private practice? Maybe you can reveal um, some of the secrets for us. I'm glad you said it's taboo because I just, I don't understand why it is. It's something my friends and I always talk about. Why, why can't we talk about it? You, you can't even ask someone how much they earn. I like to be transparent because I really struggled. I didn't have any clue about salaries even during my training contract I, I never knew um what to expect what the market's like but now that I've I'm a bit more clued up um I can let you know that in short I'm probably going to give you an answer that's not so helpful but it depends where you are typical lawyer answer <laughs> <laughs> exactly it depends what type of company you're working for, the sector that you're in. So to try and be a little bit more helpful, I'm in the higher education sector. So um, they, if you speak to certain recruiters, they may have these uh, lovely little guides that tell you on average how much a lawyer earns 
um, in the higher education sector and at what level of experience they would be to be earning a certain salary. So it depends on the sector, depends on the company. Some companies are really transparent and I think it's great that they advertise the salary for the job you're applying to. Um, Others don't. Some of my friends and people in my network have told me that often for in-house um, they'll have a certain budget and it, it is up there for negotiation on a case-by-case basis so in terms of how it compares with in-house I'd say that's the biggest difference there's no set progression type of uh, at zero PQE this is how much you're going to earn in two years this is how much you're going to earn it's completely different and it's one of the things I've struggled with um, to be totally honest there's no set route for salaries um, so it's again doing a lot of research making um, close relationship with recruiters who can give you honest word because they'll be working with other lawyers in-house they'll have a better idea of what's uh, something reasonable to ask and what's something um, reflective of your your sector uh, so that's that would be my top tip for that yeah, I think that's really good advice again. And um, just on the the, the uh, point of career progression not being as well known, um, so that's kind of leads me on to my next question, really, which is uh, what is the career progression like? Because like you said, in a firm, you've got like different levels of PQE and you've got solicitor, associate, senior associate, partner, um, do you have those same that sort of, so that, that same framework in house? And if not, how does the career progression work? A really good question again. Um, and I think a lot of people will be thinking about this. In my experience and where I've worked so far, there's no set career progression route like you would have in a law firm. Um, but that's not to say that it wouldn't be the case in other places. I'm going to take an educated guess and just say most places, if you are working in-house, um, it's it's something to maybe ask in an interview if you're making the transition. So everywhere will be different, right? Um, and so if, if we're going on the basis that you have to be responsible for your own progression, then I would say that's going to involve a lot of speaking to the stakeholders of the company, your team members. Um, your line manager and trying to demonstrate your value add and growth and that's quite a daunting thing to do Um, it's quite similar to when it comes to your appraisal time where you really need to take time reflect on what you've done how you can demonstrate your value and skills and hope that you would make a case for yourself and to be recognized for your progression to to proceed that way no one's going to come and hand you a new title because you've served two years in the company. Um, and that's the, that's a that's a big mindset shift. So if you are coming from um, a law firm, that is something that will be difficult, I think, at first. But I find it quite, um, I find it quite fun. <laughs> I don't know if fun is the right word to use for it, but I feel like I'm in charge of my future. And there's, it's not to say that there's no training available. If we're really talking salary progression and the change of titles, then yes, that, that is something you would need to do one-on-one um, during your appraisal times. But there's so many opportunities to develop outside of um, your salary. You will find that there's so many different talks going on in the company that you're at or so many different industry events. There's so much to get involved in, different relationships to make and develop your network. There's there's so much more to do than, you know, to scale it down to how you would just progress um, in, in financially. Yeah, I think that's interesting, actually, because, I mean, you make a, a really valid point, which is the fact that you... Ha- you're going to have to kind of keep record of your achievements and make a case for yourself for, um, you know, at appraisals and similar types of meetings, whether you're in private practice or in-house, because you don't just get to become an associate if that's 
you know, some firms have solicitor and then associate. You don't just get to become an associate simply because you've done the work, like you've been there however many years. You actually have to show that you've got that experience. So I suppose within house, you can do the same sort of thing. And um, there's more maybe scope for like you again, like you said, and um, being in control of your own progression. So yeah, I think it's just it's just different, um, but also quite similar in, in some ways. Yeah, you make a good point. And um, I've, I've just remembered when I was working in a law firm, we had these frameworks where it would say, by uh, six months into your training contract, these are the competencies that you should have. And I found that quite useful because often, especially if you've got imposter syndrome, like uh, many people do, unfortunately, especially in the legal industry. But it's it's really helpful because it it makes you think, okay, this is where I need to be. And I think once you, you've qualified, it's even more helpful because depending on which team you're in, in a law firm, it can be really hard to know what's the right level of exposure and development you should have by a particular um, time. Whereas when you're in-house, there's no framework. And very often, I think very rarely you will be um, again, depending on the size of your team, very rarely you're going to be supervised that closely. No one's going to be able to say this is where you should be because of the the setup of in-house is usually lawyers working together on work that comes in first. So that is it is quite a useful thing they have um, in law firms and something I struggled with that we, we don't have in-house. But the way I've dealt with that is to just speak very honestly with my manager and to say um, during my appraisal time and maybe at monthly meetings that I have just to ask, am I at the right place you'd expect me to be? And I think it's always healthy to have that ongoing conversation, whether you're in-house or, or in a law firm. I think that's great advice. And um, what was the biggest challenge for you working um, or moving from private practice to in-house and how did you overcome um, any challenges? I think it's it's like a FOMO. Often like when people say they want to move out of London, but they don't know why they can't. They want to go to the country, but they can't leave London. They can't really tell you why. And I think for me, it was like that as well. I felt like, oh, no, what am I leaving behind? Um, I felt at the beginning like I was doing the most taboo thing to go straight away from from qualifying, going straight into in-house. Um, I feel like you, you're leaving this big network, uh, maybe a law firm with a lot of accolades and awards, industry experts. There's a lot of prestige that comes with being in a law firm. Um, but... I I had to just really be honest with myself and I, I, I drew a spider diagram and I just thought, what do I want? What do I want for my career? What do I want from my my life? What lifestyle do I want? And that's what I used to take me forward. And so that FOMO just melted away once I was really true to myself. And then I found that actually when I'm in-house, it doesn't mean that you still have a network it's just different. There's loads of awards that your company may have won. There's pr- that you can know you can create prestige in any way that you want to. It's it's your mindset um, and how you how you look at things. But it's um it's definitely the most rewarding decision I have made because my lifestyle now is how I always thought I wanted it to be. I think it's great that you, um, you know, obviously you were a bit apprehensive about moving into the unknown, but you uh, you looked at what was important to you and did that spider diagram and moved towards um, what you really wanted out of your career. And I think that's very inspirational. Thank you. It's um, it is for for your listeners that are considering going in house, and that's the spider diagram I talk about. Although it is maybe taboo to talk about but there are certain differences with being in-house simple things like not recording your time although we're kind of trained as lawyers to um, be positive and resilient to everything and accept everything I just really don't like working like that you you know you kind of just brush it off and 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 today and tomorrow is another day but 
I just really didn't like it. And it's little things like that where now I don't record time. It makes such a difference to my day. Um, for some reason, it, it just does. <laughs> or finishing at earlier time than I would in a law firm. Again, it depends which which law firm you're working at. But that's something that was really important to me. So, um, yeah, I just think having a real honest conversation with yourself and doing your research will really pay off for those interested in going in-house. So for those who want to go in-house, what skills do you think, um, you know, people should have um, to, you know, what, what are the most important skills required to become an in-house solicitor at NQ level? So, so, so obviously we're doing, we're doing the same job. We're, we're providing legal advice, whether you're in a law firm or in-house, but think it's again very good to have honest conversation with yourself and identify maybe which skills come to you naturally and which skills do you think you'd like to develop around the key things that would be required of you in-house and just think if you if you do match those so again I give the typical lawyer answer that it depends on which type of company you're working for the sector and also your team But generally, I think if you're working in-house, you need to be able to manage relationships with people because even how the work is delegated to you, you may be either taking work directly from um, commercial people throughout the company or you might be getting it through your um, head of legal, whoever's leading the legal team. So you need to really be comfortable in dealing with people and building rapport and relationships so that they can come to you as a trusted advisor and with that I think a key an absolute key skill is to be able to convey legal concepts to non-legal people <laughs> and that's really hard it sounds easier than it is I'm sure you, you've um you do this on a daily basis in your training contract now but oftentimes people they don't care about the the background to the answer you're probably speaking to people that have probably no idea what you're talking about. And some commercial teams are much more um, involved on the legal side of things. And, and so it may be different, but imagine yourself just getting a really convoluted legal answer to something that you just needed a yes or no to. So of course you'd set it out, you know, very briefly at the law, but it's mostly knowing how to communicate that in a clear way to a non-legal audience is key. Knowing how to be truly commercially aware and that is a skill that I think is constantly mentioned throughout the training contract process be commercially aware be commercially aware and I think when I say the true meaning of it it's not just I don't think you can be commercially aware just by reading a newspaper and that's what I used to put in my training contract applications because I thought that's what people wanted to hear but being truly commercially aware I think is just understanding what business you're working for how do they make money what is the risk to that business what is the risk that the um the person asking you for legal advice is really concerned with and if they haven't highlighted it you should be able to identify that so you're constantly assessing risk um when you're working in-house so um if you if you don't know how to do that if you don't understand the commercial side of things you're going to really struggle but that that's something that you know, you can you can acquire over time, and um, but it's, I think it's really important to to know what you need to develop. Um, and lastly, I'd say you'd need to be really good at personal branding. So what I mean by that is, oftentimes you're you're responsible for um, bringing in your own work and getting referrals when you're in house. So um, to give you an example, when I started it in my current role work was being given to me by our head of legal which was great but then when I started working more and more of different parts of the business they were coming directly to me which is fantastic because you've developed trust um, you have your own relationships and then I developed um, a lot of positive feedback throughout um, the company and obviously that helps with your appraisals as well so you really need to know how to brand yourself and that would really pay dividends for you when you're in-house. Um, because as I say, I think generally you will be responsible for 
developing your own relationships and bringing in work. Um, so those are my top tips. Being people's person, personal branding, true commercial awareness, um, and knowing how to convey legal speech to non-lawyers. I can definitely relate with what you were saying about the communication. Um, you know, it is quite difficult to communicate legal answers to to um, non-lawyers sometimes. So yeah, I can I can definitely see that that is a skill that would be required. Um, and I thought it was interesting that you mentioned personal branding, and that that wasn't one that I was expecting. Um, but the yeah, it's interesting to hear your insight into that. So thank you very much for sharing. You're welcome. I think you probably experienced that yourself um, when when you started as a trainee and, and you think, I'm in a team, maybe there's one or two trainees. What, what do you want to be known for? What what do you want um, your team to, to look at, at you for? Um, because ultimately you're building the steps for your, your qualification. And so I think we're all doing it even without knowing that we're developing our personal brand. No, that's a that's a really great point. I didn't think about even think of it as personal branding, but the yeah, the way you've explained it, it actually really is personal branding. Well, I think you're you're brilliant at it because that's 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 how we met, right? We yeah. we um, connected on LinkedIn, and I thought you were absolutely amazing with everything you're doing, and that's all your personal brand. And so, as soon as I'd meet someone who needed advice and was really struggling to get a training contracts I'd think oh you need to speak to Camilla she's got a great podcast and um yeah that that's it's, it's a brilliant way that um that you've created your personal brand thank you very much and it was completely non-intentional so it just goes to show that if you show up and do the best that you can do <laughs> yeah. and, you know over time um your yeah your personal brand will become developed um but like you said you have to think about what you want to be known for um in order to create a consistent persona yeah that's true i had a a a young a gentleman join us for work experience once and he wouldn't leave me alone every day uh, at 8am before i get to the office he'd be asking me what he can help with what background reading he could do he was so eager and I always said I remember his name to this day I remember his name and that allowed me to reach out to him again when there was new work experience being offered I was able to get him another placement with one of my friends just because I remembered his name and so that consistency really it can show off and um now I I, luckily I'm on wanted to mentor him but we talk about it often and he said I wanted you to remember me and so we're like you were you were creating your personal brand without knowing you're creating it so like you said sometimes it's not intentional but if it can help someone listening um to be intentional about it and get there then I think that'll be great as well definitely and I think enthusiasm and consistency just goes a very very long way to helping you to become memorable really as a person because it's yeah I don't know I think enthusiasm sort of uh, is contagious and so if you meet someone that's really enthusiastic you automatically kind of become enthusiastic about helping them on that side exactly I'd like to take a moment to speak about the University of Law, which is the university I decided to study my LPC at. The University of Law is the sponsor of this podcast and makes it possible for us to continue bringing these episodes to you. So we really appreciate you supporting us by supporting our sponsors. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief in training students for the real world from the moment they accept a place. The University of Law's experienced career service and award-winning pro bono clinics offer students the chance to get real-life legal experience which can boost employability. They offer a range of undergraduate and postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students excel at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses courses to help students work and study at the same time. If you'd like to find out more about the courses on offer, please click the link in the description box of the podcast. 
And so you qualified as a solicitor in September 2020 when remote working was at its peak because of the pandemic. How did you find the experience of training and working remotely? And do you have any advice for people like me who still work, um, you know, partially remotely about how to uh, succeed in that environment? So I think this goes back to what we were just talking about in terms of personal branding, because I'd say it's it's for me, it's been replicating the office environment as much as possible, but online. So if I was I'll usually be in the office. If I'm taking a lunch break, people would know I'm taking a lunch break because they can see me. So when I'm at home, um, I try and let my team know somehow where I am. So I do things like update my outlook. I'll just block in some time of when I've taken lunch. So I'm not I'm not sitting there informing them every day like, hey, I'm taking lunch, guys. But um, I'll block out time in my calendar. I will, if I'm working with someone on a particular um, matter, I will just let them know. So things like that, trying to build transparency, I think is absolutely key. And with that comes building trust because whether we like it or not, there is a big element of being able to trust your team and it works both ways. I think at first during lockdown, there was this kind of strange stereotype and stigma that if you were working remotely you were probably not working at all and I think we've come a long way and that I think a lot of people's attitudes have changed because of what happened with the pandemic but I think it's always great to be able to develop trust with your team whether that's as I said keeping them updated um, organizing your diary so that people don't have to guess what you're doing or if you're available um having the if you're using teams it's quite useful because it updates with a green tick if you're free if, if your diary's free and I think that's always a really good way so that you don't feel like you're disturbing someone if you reach out to them you know that they're available they're there I think another really key thing to do is to get organized so organized with yourself and organized with others so what do I mean by that if you have a really busy day with meetings, try and give yourself a few minutes in between. So there's days when I have um, my diaries completely blocked out and I'm going from one meeting to another. I always try and give myself a five minute break in between because when you're carrying all that load and you might not realize it, but you're quite stressed out and then you get to the person that you're meeting at the end of the day, and you go with energy that you don't really want to, it doesn't really reflect you, it would help so much if you just give yourself breaks throughout the day so that you can be yourself to everyone. And organizing yourself will really help others. So if they're trying to find a time to speak with you, if your diary's up to date, it's going to make their day a lot more easier. I think these are the key ways you, you build trust. And particularly if you're a junior and maybe you're struggling with the 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 fact that you're not in an environment where you could just reach out and ask for help if you need a question and you're not hearing the conversations on the phone and so on and so forth. I think there's nothing wrong with reaching out to your team um, if you've got a question. But of course, like even if you are in a law firm, the advice I would always give is if you're stuck, if you have any sort of question put it in an email or in a Teams message, set out what your thinking is and just say, I would really appreciate if we could talk about this because it shows that you've thought about it. You're setting out what you think and you're asking for um, for some help to talk things through. That's always going to go down so well than, um, than, than not doing that, whether you're in person or, or working remotely. I, feel, I think the last thing I should say is organising regular meetings with your team or your supervisor because it's not just the work that we're doing right we're we're human beings there's a social aspect to being at work um which I think is one of the most if not the most important element to work having weekly catch-ups just to know what what everyone's doing um what new matters you're working on or just how your week is going I think these all build up trust, they build relationships, you get to know your colleagues much better. 
Um, so even if you're talking about a book that you've read, that's going to make you feel so much more comfortable to reach out next time when it's actually a daunting legal question. So I feel like I've just chucked all my <laughs> advice to you, but that's my advice. And I think we're all going to become so much better at it. Absolutely. Um, and you've given some fantastic, actionable advice for us to um, follow those well, like me and and uh, the listeners who um, are working remotely either now or in the future and um, given some really great tips and I for one I'm definitely going to be implementing some of those and uh, I sort of smiled to myself a little bit when you were talking about um, you know put sort of put your thoughts down or what you what you think is the um, the right way to proceed but maybe just have a chat about it I can't tell you how many times I've done that and actually figured out the answer before oh, I get to the, before I get to the end of the the email so I think really that is great advice just on its own anyway um, but yeah having regular catch-ups over zoom um, is really good that's something that I've that I've done since the beginning of my training contract, made sure that I've scheduled time in the diary every single week. Um, and I know that some uh, some of the trainees do it every day, and I think that's that's really good as well. Um, so, yeah, fantastic advice. That's interesting as well because I was thinking that. I just didn't think I should cover it, but it's the frequency of how much you catch up as well, I think, depends on, on, on you and your team. Like at the moment, I'm meeting, I'm still meeting my manager once a week. Um, and over the last two years, we've done that. It's worked really well for me. But that's because of the, the frequency and urgency of my week, of my work allows me to do that. But maybe if I was in a team where there were loads of urgent deadlines, maybe I'd want to meet uh, more often than that. So finding that balance, I think, is going to be key. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And so I wondered if you could tell us more about your role as Senior Business Development and Partnerships Advisor at the Association of University Legal Practitioners. Yes, um, I'd love to to tell you more about that because I'm hoping I can help your listeners and offer my support to them. So I I was an oil and gas lawyer. I fell into working in higher education and... um, I absolutely I love I love that I made that transition because it's so much more um it so much more reflects what I care about in my personal life and I'm a big fan of talking about social mobility and trying to break down barriers in this profession so I was absolutely music to my ears to hear that there was a group of um university lawyers that have um developed this association where they support lawyers in the sector. So um, I'm sure other sectors may have this as well, um, but definitely they have it in higher education. So what that means is key uh, legal representatives from different universities meet up and discuss um, issues in the sector generally. For example, what's happening with the cost of living crisis? How's that going to affect their work? If they've got any templates, they'll share it together. So, I don't know, data protection templates or um, collaboration agreements. They work together to share, um, which is really great because it's a big support. If I've got any questions, for example, I will reach out to this network. So it's legal questions, career support questions. It's a really good tool to have. But um, what I was really keen to do and I'm, I'm really glad that they're supporter of this, is to use it as a platform for junior lawyers or lawyers that are new to um, in-house or new to the higher education sector as a place to just come and drop in, talk about what your career goals are, see which um, universities are offering work experience, you know, anything and everything. Um, so that's what I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to do. So If any of your listeners are interested in either career in-house, a career within a university, or just want some general advice um, on career development, I'm hoping that will be a place to go. Um, You might be able to be matched with a mentor, like a lawyer mentor, or you might just be able to hear about current 
um, job opportunities that they have um, or just make some friends. So I'm happy to provide you with more details and I'll be doing a few more talks um, on this. So I'd be more than happy to support anyone listening if they do have any questions around those topics. That's fantastic. And it sounds like such an amazing initiative. Um, what we'll do is leave, I don't know if you've got details that we can leave in the show notes for the podcast, um, but if someone can, um, yeah, so if someone is interested, then perhaps they can um, visit the website or a LinkedIn page or something like that. Do you, uh, We can discuss that after the podcast about um, where to direct people. Yeah, of course. And uh, what advice would you give to law students or graduates who are aspiring lawyers and want a career in-house but just aren't sure where to start? I would like to talk about this all day. <laughs> um, I genuinely would. But my advice is work in a business, any business. Just try it. Understand it. If you want to go in-house, you're working for a company, it's it's not a law firm. That in itself, I think, is where to start. Truly understanding a law firm as a business and then understanding how companies work, depending on the, the in-house opportunity that you have. So if you work in a business, you'll know how any business works. The model might be different, but the concepts are always going to be the same, right? So if you understand those things, you'll understand the main risks to general businesses. You'll understand the main opportunities. It's very similar, I think, to carrying out a SWOT analysis that you may have done at uni, analyzing the strengths, weaknesses, the opportunities and threats for a particular company. And then you start developing true uh, commercial awareness. So if you're lucky enough to get a job in a company, in any role, in any company, I would say absolutely go for it. You don't have to work in a law firm. You don't have to work as a lawyer or, or in the, the legal sector. I started as an administrator in a law firm. I worked as an administrator in a bank. I even worked as a cleaner in a bank. And you, you can't underestimate how much you, you really learn from being on the ground. Um, so if you're a trainee and you're listening to this, Maybe you can look out for secondment opportunities or even just attending client meetings because you'll get more involved. You'll, you'll hear the, the thought process of these companies. It's going to be very different to the thought process of a law firm or a lawyer in a law firm. Their appetite to risk is going to be different. Uh, if you're a student, I would say to look out for placement opportunities um, in your degree that's always a great way to get your foot in the door and um, and get some commercial experience. And otherwise, I would say just just reach out to um, legal teams in these companies. If there's a company that interests you and you're really keen to get some legal work experience there, just reach out to them, whether you're using LinkedIn or their details are on the company website. Reach out and ask because some of these opportunities may not even be advertised, particularly like working um, with lawyers in-house. Very rarely, I think they're going to say they offer work experience. It's usually from word of mouth. So I would just reach out and ask any company that you're interested in. And if you don't ask, you don't get. I love that. I was just thinking that exactly at the same time that you said it. So great minds think alike. <laughs> um that's fantastic great advice uh yeah being proactive and just asking is such a, a great um a great thing to do don't forget that if you're looking for a way to remove the weight of the world from your shoulders the therapists at BetterHelp are qualified to help you through your daily stresses just visit www.betterhelp.com forward slash tsl for 10 percent off of your first month that's betterhelp.com forward slash TSL for 10% off of your first month. I remember when I was getting, well, trying to get work experience in a law firm, I wrote out to countless law firms and a lot of them said no or didn't respond, but then I was able to get some work experience. And if I hadn't put myself out there yeah. and uh, contacted these firms, then, you know, that, that wouldn't have necessarily happened. So um yeah good for you 
honestly good for you it it takes so much resilience to do that because you're so scared right of I know terrified especially in this um legal industry where it's so competitive so like really good on you thank you and so where can listeners connect with you anywhere (laughs) you can connect with me on LinkedIn um I'm terrible at using LinkedIn but I think my, my email address um, is on my LinkedIn and I'd be really happy to connect with anyone for any questions, any help. Um, I, I work as a careers consultant on the side because of talking about my many struggles of becoming a lawyer. Um, I just happen to have connected with a lot of um, students and um, people looking to make that move and who want advice on training contracts, office etiquette, you name it so I'd be more than happy to connect with people and you know have phone calls do any type of mentoring I am I'm here um so LinkedIn email and we can we can take it from there but I wanted to just say like thank you so much Camilla for allowing me to to come onto your platform and talk and I hope that everyone's found it useful oh absolutely you honestly you've been such an amazing guest your advice has been so so helpful I'm sure to our listeners and to me as well um I'm yeah I'm just happy that we we uh we got around to doing this this podcast um yeah I'm so happy that that you came on the show um and and spend your evening with us talking to us about your experiences um uh, in private practice and and in-house and I think it's great the work that you're doing um as a career consultant um helping give back to the next next generations of of lawyers so good for you and well done thank you it's so hard that's that's always something I said I promised myself I'll never stop doing because we need more transparency in this profession just I remember people wouldn't even share their CVs with me when I was starting off and it's, it's just really hard to find a place where you can get advice and support in such a competitive field so what you're doing is absolutely incredible and i I would love to know like how many people how many lives you've changed through this podcast (laughs) honestly when I I think a lot of people will agree with me when I've listened to your um previous episodes it's been super super helpful so thank you thank you and to the listeners um uh, please go and give leave us a good review on apple podcasts (laughs) and let us know um if you found the the podcast helpful because that will help us to reach more people i think not quite sure how the apple podcast algorithm works i'm not gonna lie but i think getting good reviews is probably going to help it so please do go and give us a review and yeah thank you again arva for coming on the show thank you so much it was great to speak with you and you too and to all the listeners thanks again for tuning in and we will uh, see you in the next one goodbye bye to hear more of the student lawyers podcast hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review if you would like to join the student lawyer as a writer please email hello at the student lawyer.com